I would invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin this evening by reading the entire uh, chapter and uh, then praying. <clears throat> we have had a, a day that's been full uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and my goal in uh, preaching through Revelation chapter 1 is to, to bring us all closer to Christ uh, in the uh, study and the confession we saw the freedom that we have in Christ, freedom from bondage to uh, the law, freedom from the bondage to uh, Satan. Uh, our freedom, it says, was greatly enlarged over those in, in the Old Testament. Uh, Gary has been preaching through Mark, and, and Mark just shows that, that Jesus came and just took everything by storm. Uh, once before, they couldn't even get at the door. Today, there were so many people around it said they couldn't even eat. He had to prepare for a boat to be ready in case they, they crushed him up against the, uh, against the sea and, and go out so he could, he could project his voice to preach to them. And uh, uh, our goal in the studies in Revelation will just be to, to look at Christ uh, again. <clears throat> revelation chapter 1 the revelation of jesus christ which god gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john who bore witness to the word of god and to the testimony of jesus christ even to all that he saw blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest who is God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are 
the seven churches. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this portion of your word. We're thankful for the revelation of Jesus Christ, the many pictures that we see here just in the first chapter. We ask for spirit-led discernment and understanding of your word. We pray, Lord, you would truly give us the blessing that is promised uh, to all who read and contemplate this prophecy. Amen. So as we look at this uh, text, or begin to look at this text, really we're not going to get out of uh, verse 1 today. There, there will be some words of introduction, what the, what the study is not intended to do, and what the study is intended to do. If you saw a sermon on a text in Revelation, maybe you said, well, now you can explain everything to me. Uh, that, is not, that is not the goal. Uh, the goal is to just see Jesus in different ways. And there are many, many descriptions. In, in, in verse 5, literally, John can't finish his thought. It's, and he just says, unto him who loved us and washed away our sins. It's, he breaks out in, in praise. And, and that's re really the goal of the study. I, I, I want this, these, this one chapter to work its way in our, our hearts. I want us to see the, the Savior in this way and that way and this way and this way, but, but never lose sight of all, of all he is and, and all he can, he can be to us. So the introduction is a little bit longer. And then we'll look at the first main heading is the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. That's the, the, the beginning of the book. So there's five subheadings. Uh, the term apocalypse, and then we'll look at the phrase which God gave him. And then we'll look at what is revealed. That's not really in the text, but if we're talking about a revelation of what God gave him, we'll just talk, not too briefly, but we'll talk about what, what was revealed, what was revealed about Christ uh, to show his servants who were his servants and uh, the fact that these things will soon take place. And then uh, some application. So the purpose of the study, as I've mentioned also already, is that we would just see Jesus in many different ways. Uh, we realize we see him by faith. We, we realize this, this vision that John had we, we have to stop and, and think about it. We have to take it apart, but, but we, we can tell it's glorious, isn't it? Anybody whose face shines like the sun, anybody who has a two-edged sword coming from, from their mouth, it's, it's symbolic, but it, it speaks of glory, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So the goal is to, is to dig into that. The, the purpose of the study is to, to see Jesus. Uh, the book of Revelation is, is, is about him. It's about all his victories and his final victory. Uh, uh, we're using chapter one and its many disclosures of Jesus to, to get to that. And, and the goal would be more worship, more praise, more thanks, more adoration. That, that's the goal. Um, John's reaction to Jesus is he, 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 he was overwhelmed. He fell at his feet as though dead. And it may be a tall order, but... I would like to be able to have the Spirit overwhelm us. Mm -hmm. Not that we'll all end up falling, but in our hearts as we hear it, we would just say, Christ is so incredible. Christ is so beautiful. I, I would just fall at my feet before him any time. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. And, and that's, that's the goal. Our desire is to be filled with praise and join the chorus that, that has already begun. Uh, Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy to receive all of that. Someday, I want to be there. I don't want to read what they're saying. I want to say it myself. Amen. That's the goal. We draw near to Christ by faith and strengthen our faith and strengthen our resolve to get there and sing that song that they sing right now uh, in glory. Well, you would say this is a tall order because the book of Revelation is difficult to understand. Well, that, that, that may be so, but it, it absolutely had to be relevant to the people that it was written to. 
There are some interpretations of Revelation. One says everything is literal. I don't believe that. There are other interpretations that say the beginning of Revelation is for now and all the rest is for what happens in the future. I don't believe that. It, it had to be relevant to who it was written to because they were really in trouble. They had difficulty. So it had to be relevant to the seven churches. There's specific instruction. You, you think about the seven churches and you say, how did all this stuff get going? Who were the Nicolaitans? And who's Jezebel? And how can your love grow cold? And who's this? And who's that? And who's this? The, the, the idea is wherever there's a good work in Christ, there's a bad work not far behind. Amen. Here's true teaching. Here's a church that starts the right way. And the devil is right there behind. Well, I'll throw some Nicolaitans in there. I'll get some false teaching in there. I'll get sin in there. I'll get something else in there to draw a wedge into that church. Well, any church that's under that pressure needs to hear from their Lord. They need to hear from Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what he does. It's relevant to them. It's relevant also to the persecuted church. They were persecuted. Now, maybe you have, as, as I have heard some people say, doctrines divide. Well, there's a problem with that because a first century Christian could be approached by a Roman magistrate and be told, give allegiance to Caesar. And the person would either do that or say, Jesus Christ is Lord and I don't worship anybody else. And then you might be what gets divided, not the doctrine. You didn't have to say much to be killed, to be thrown into the lion's den, to be thrown into the arena. Doctrine divides. No, truth divides. Mm -hmm. You can't tell a Muslim Jesus is the only way to the Father. You can't tell a Roman magistrate, I'm not going to bow down to Nero or Domitian or anybody else. My allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him in chains, put him in prison, or send him to the Isle of Patmos. The persecution got worse and worse. Nero, Vespasian, Domitian, and it spread. As Christianity spread, the persecution spread. There was a, a, a man named Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y, in Africa, and he sent to find out what he should do. He said, Christianity spreading all over the place. What will I do? They told him, do with them whatever you want. The, uh, the fifth seal gets opened. And it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. Here, part of the vision is actually souls that were slain because they, they said, I have allegiance to Jesus Christ and nobody else. It had to be relevant to the churches. It had to be relevant to the people who could hear a knock at the door literally and be dragged away. Oh, down there, 309 Forest Trace, they're all Christians there. I hear them singing hymns sometime. They were killed for the sake of the gospel, but now they're safe. And the message from the Lord Jesus Christ is, if you're persecuted now, you will be safe sometime. John also sees the souls of all those who were beheaded for the testimony of Christ in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. This is, this is a time of turmoil when those in the world, especially the Roman government, are coming after the Christians. Nothing upset the Roman order like that. Because they said, well, we got Caesar, he's the God, he's God on earth, and everything in Christianity opposed it because that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it's relevant to each individual reader because you, you saw verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, it's never happened to, in my house that Gene asked, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm reading Revelation out loud again. But, but it's relevant to everybody who, who reads it. And you would say, yeah, but there's parts that I can't figure out. But I'm going to try to help you to say you can figure it out. Because there's broad themes in it 
that never go away. There's broad themes in it that have been happening ever since uh, the Garden of Eden. So it's relevant to each individual reader. Uh, and if we say, well, I can't see the, the big picture yet, then, then I would say read it again. You know, it's it, it, it's a blessing. It says it's a blessing, and actually, in the at the end of the book, it says it's a blessing also. So it's a bookend blessing. Uh, there is the use of symbolism and illusion in the book, and and that's that's something. If you kind of understand that, that can help you too. Uh, a, a symbol is something that represents or stands for something else, and it's uh, uh, by resemblance or association. So we'll see symbols like the seven golden lampstands, and at the end of the chapter, Jesus says the seven stars are this, the seven lampstands are this. So that's good. I got that. I got that sorted out. I know what that means. But he has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? But it's a symbol. His eyes really aren't fire, but it's a symbol. Uh, in in uh, chapter five. When the seals are going to get opened, John says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Well, you say, wait a minute, is Jesus in heaven like the, like the vision that John saw in chapter 1 or, or chapter 5? The answer is yes. You see, because it's just, it's symbolic. Is he the lamb, is he the lamb that was slain? Yes. Can he be seen in a vision as a lamb that was slain? Yes, that's really what he was. And could he be seen in his glory shining and bright like chapter one? Yes, because it's symbols. So we also have to remember that, that this is uh, God's last word. This is the, this is the end. The, 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 book, the book tells us this is the end. Two giant kingdoms have been at war since the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ has won the victory on the cross, the victory by his resurrection, the victory by his ascension. Now we're, we're looking at the ascended Christ. Really, if you go from Acts till now, you've never seen a picture of the ascended Christ until Revelation chapter 1. And it's telling you he's there and everything that's going on and, and giving you a picture of the earth. And, and what's going to happen? The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. They're all like three cycles. They all start with judgment and they end up with a second coming. Judgment, second coming, judgment, second coming. You have, you have three cycles, basically the same thing. Now, if you're a persecuted person, I would think that would be good to hear three times, don't worry, uh, everything's going to work out. Jesus is going to defeat all their enemies. In chapter 19, the, the, uh, the great Babylon and, and things are destroyed and God's people actually rejoice because justice is done. Amen. Justice is done. We know that sense in our, our mind when somebody gets off. They, they cop a plea and they get off and we say, well, justice wasn't done. But the whole moral universe in chapter 19 rejoices that justice is done. The world system and Babylon and, and Jezebel and the, the prostitute, everything was thrown down. And righteousness began to reign. And that's justice. That's God's justice. <clears throat> so those three cycles include all these things that we can easily recognize. We see sin and salvation, re redemption. We see lots of praise going up. We see truth and error, judgment. We see comfort. We see struggle. We see spiritual battle. We see heaven and hell, God's, God's working and his power and Jesus's power. We see the Spirit's aid and eventually the return of Jesus Christ in victory. Will you still say I'm, I'm a little confused? Well, maybe this illustration can help. In, in the art world, they have people that are experts and they can recognize paintings in the minus detail. And you could tell them, well, here's... Here's this painting we'd like to check out because it's exactly like this one. Which one is the, the true one and which one is the forgery? Well, there's people that can look at that and they can tell you. And one of the ways that they do it is they look at all the little brush strokes because Manet 
painted different than Monet, painted different than Van Gogh. And they could take that picture and say, no, these are, these are really Monet's brushstrokes. Nobody had brushstrokes like him. So they can look at that and tell. And although the revelation of Jesus Christ is sometimes hard to understand, there's no doubt about who painted the picture. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no doubt about the brushstrokes, is there, brethren? Amen. Right? There's all those themes I just mentioned, but there's no doubt who did it, who painted it, whose word it is, who's in charge. So that's the introduction. Then we get to our main heading with the five headings underneath, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book starts with the Greek word apocalypse. Apocalypse. Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's the revelation. Uh, maybe over 35 times, 37 times the the verb and the noun are used in the New Testament. Uh, you would think in Revelation the, it would be used a lot, but it's only used once. But uh, it's the first word. The word means to, to manifest or to reveal. There's, there's really three different categories, too. We'll just talk about those briefly. Uh, first, in, in the general sense, it just means to reveal or disclose something like, like Matthew 10 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And, and that's appropriate for our study in Revelation. Basically, that's the idea. God is going to reveal everything in the right way at the right time. You say, well, these people committed injustice against me. They persecuted me my whole life. They did. Well, nothing is, nothing is hidden that won't be revealed. God will sort all that out at the end. Mary is told that part of Jesus' ministry will be that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's also used, uh, secondly, to, to talk about certain supernatural secrets or divine revelation where, where God acts directly to reveal things. Matthew eleven twenty four, Jesus praised God because he, he hid these things from the wise and, and the understanding and revealed them to to little children, he says, for thus was pleasing in your sight. Uh, Philippians 3.15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Uh, Christ is said to reveal things. The Holy Spirit is said to reveal things in 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And Paul prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, a, a, a spirit of revelation in our hearts. So thirdly and finally, there's a, a revealing in an eschatological sense, a, a future sense about, about something that's, that, that isn't complete yet. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, uh, 3, 6, and 8 talk about the revelation of the Antichrist. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, For the day, that's capital D, Judgment Day, will disclose it uh, because it will be revealed. So it will be revealed in the future. Uh, Romans 8.18, uh, Paul compares the sufferings with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We don't, we don't know exactly what that is yet. What is it going to be like? Well, it's going to be glory. Well, what's glory? We don't. We don't know. That has to be revealed. In 1 Peter 5.1, he says, I'm a partaker of the glory uh, that is to be revealed. He uses similar language. So God has revealed himself to man, and the entire Bible is revelation, right? Christianity is a revealed, you hear what God says, and, and you, it's up to you to respond, right? Let the one who has ears uh, hear. Uh, this apocalypse, though, is a, a special revelation. So here's some ways that it's uh, special. There's four different ways. It's special because that word becomes the title. Right? First, second, first, second and third, John, Jude, and Revelation, apocalypse. It becomes the title, and everybody knows that's the, that's the revelation of Christ. Also, it's the final revelation. It's final in time. It was the last 
book written. It's final in the canon of scripture, in other words. And there's final words with a warning in, in chapter 22, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. So there's, there's not only Apocalypse becomes the title, but it's closed at the back end. And God says, God says, nobody's going to add to this. This, this, is, this is the final thing. Also, uh, thirdly, the apocalypse comes with blessing. Uh, our verse 3 that we looked at already, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And chapter 22, verse 7, at the end, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's, there's blessing in it because of its content. And it's special, finally, because it comes from the risen Christ. When he was on earth... They said no man spoke like this man spoke. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. It was, it was recognizable. It was recognizable. The scribes, they taught a different way. Everybody else taught a different way. When Jesus came, he taught with authority. He taught with power. He taught in a totally different way. When he speaks from heaven at the right hand of God, I would suggest to you now in this revelation, in this apocalypse, his words come with more power and more authority. We should, we should listen to them and hear them. So that's our first heading under our main. Then comes number two, or, or B, which God gave him. Uh, the whole progression is interesting because it says God gave the prophecy to Jesus and it was given to an angel to give to John. John gave the prophecy to Jesus to give to angels to give to John. It's mentioned numerous times. Which God gave him shows the plan of the Trinity in salvation. And uh, we'll look at some texts that, that back that up. The salvation of the world was, was God's design, and Jesus was the means, the instrument, the one who came uh, to earth uh, to see that got done. And now these final words are, are given to Jesus. God gave Jesus the works to do and the words to say during his ministry. It's, it's really a, a beautiful mystery. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. That, that's a mysterious thing, isn't it? He, he just healed the man by the pool. The man couldn't get down into that pool fast enough, you remember. And Jesus healed them and said, pick up your, your, your bed and walk. And they, they, they accused the man of working on the Sabbath because he was walking with his bed. He was carrying a load. And Jesus started the controversy by saying, my father is working until now and I am working. He said, if you, if you think that I'm wrong for working on the Sabbath, God's working too. Threw, threw it right back at him. In verse 30 of chapter 5, he says, I can do nothing of my own. In chapter 8 and verse 26 of John, he says, I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He's the mouthpiece of God. He hears what God tells him, say this, tell the world that, tell them that, do this work and do that. He says, I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak, John 12. John 14, 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father dwells in me and does his works. And then in the high priestly prayer, Jesus sums up his ministry by saying, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. See, there's the Trinitarian purpose. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, all these words of the whole book, all 22 chapters, are God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired words that are sent through the mouthpiece of the Lord Jesus Christ to an angel, to John, and put on a piece of paper, and somehow gotten off the island of Patmos to seven churches that are in Asia. The process, the process is a mystery, but it shows the undeniable proof uh, that Jesus is God. In the, in the summary, in the prologue, you know, John's prologue, in a sense, is the summary of the whole gospel. Uh, John said, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Now, as the final revelation, God again gives Jesus the prophecy of this book. And we can only marvel and worship and contemplate uh, this divine plan because God always reveals himself through a mediator, This, in this case, through Jesus Christ to needy sinners. W what is the idea? Salvation. I gave them the words that you gave me so that they know that I came from you. That's, that's basically uh, the whole thing. But then uh, our, our third heading is what is revealed? It's a revelation. It's, a, it's an opening up. It's a, a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Well, he reveals all the words of the book, but in revealing the words of the book, there are uh, five different things, <clears throat> five different things that are revealed. The, the, the first is Jesus's divine attributes. We, we know Jesus is God, but the prophecy shows this in, in a different, fuller way, because we, we see his omnipotence. Verse 5 says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. In the Old Testament, it would say God is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. And, and here it says uh, Jesus is. His power is displayed through, throughout the book. We see his omnipresence. He's everywhere at all times. He's in heaven and earth. His, <coughs> his instruction to the churches shows that he's, in all, he's at all the churches at the same time because he knows what each one is doing. Uh, and that shows us that it displays his omnis omniscience, his knowledge of the righteous and the wicked and all the churches in Judgment Day. The power of Jesus Christ will rightly divide everybody on the planet, everybody who ever lived, everybody in graves, everybody everywhere in the right way. And each one will be given according to their own deeds and, and the things that they did in the flesh. Because he is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he's <coughs> omniscience. He knows everything. He's everywhere, and he has all power. Uh, secondly, uh, secondly the, what's revealed is the, the absolute finished work of salvation. Uh, Jesus is called the Lamb 29 times in the prophecy. And all of heaven rings with the praise for the lamb that was slain. I'll just read that, that passage again, Revelation 5, 6 through 10. <coughs> and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from his right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. There, there's, there's praise uh, given to Christ be, because he's the lamb. He saved God's people, uh, and, <coughs> and brought them to, to glory. Then there also... <coughs> Is the glory of uh, Christ revealed in the passage we just read and the opening vision? And there's there's many times, like chapter one, where it, the whole scene, in a sense, just stops uh, 
and, and praise just goes up to, to Christ. We also see that he's the head of the church. Uh, many aspects of his rule as the head of the church, uh, his chosen people are revealed, especially in the, in the letters to the churches. And he, he speaks to them as, as if he's in charge. We see that clearly. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he's the head over all things to the church, but, but he has the knowledge of the state of every church. He's able to give an assessment and tell them you have this true and this false teaching there. He's able to not only assess, but correct. He corrects their teaching, their zeal, their backsliding, their, the problems that they have. He gives them encouragement. He tells one church, only hold fast what you have till I come. There's, there's warnings, there's consequences for disobedience and delay. He actually tells one church, I'll remove the, I'll remove the candlestick. I'll, I'll take it away. You won't be a church of Christ anymore. Uh, there's compassion because they're under persecution. They're under assault. The, 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 the one church, he says, I know where you dwell by the synagogue of Satan. You, you imagine that? Who's your next door neighbor? Oh, Satan and all his followers. That's the, that's the picture that he, he told them. He said, I know where you live. I know that you need help because the devil and his people are like your next door neighbors. And there's also repetition. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We see, in a sense, the pastoral heart, the shepherd's heart of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, coming out over and over. But, but what is he driving at? He, he's driving at the fact that they should display doctrinal purity and personal piety. That is, that is the goal of every Christian. Piety is not a word that's used, but it means you walk in a course of religion and devotion to God. But, but that's what he tells them about. What you need is doctrinal purity and personal piety. And he's trying to clear away all that teaching. Get away from this Jezebel. Get away from the Nicolaitans. Get away from, from any lukewarmness or anything that would distract you from, from the goal. And have doctrinal purity and personal piety. <clears throat> well then finally, in what is revealed, uh, there's judgment and justice. And it, it, it all ends up with that, like I said, three times. Uh, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, it, it all comes. Jesus says at the end in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. You see, he's the Lord, he's the judge. And he knows how to sort it all out and give justice in the right way. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm coming soon. Uh, it, it's, it's starting to repeat itself, isn't it? That this is going to happen soon. Uh, there could be more. Maybe we'll stop with those five. But we would have to say, what a savior. If we're looking at Christ, we have to look at these five things that, that have been revealed. What a savior. What power. What knowledge. What glory. And if I'm suffering... I could take comfort that just as he knew the details of every church, he knows the details of, of me. Am I lukewarm? Have I left my first love? God forbid. God forbid that I would ever forget him. God forbid that I would ever grow cold. God forbid that, that ever the world would get in there and start to take it away. Those, those thistles and thorns and my problems and issues, to take it away, to have that seed die on the path, no, no. We, we look at him and we say, what a savior. Everything I could ever need, every trouble, every path I go down that seems dark, he's there. He was there for persecuted churches where literally, if you said Jesus Christ is Lord, not Nero, you could be beheaded, you could be killed. This is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our fourth heading, to show his servants. To show his servants, which God gave him to show his servants. He, he shows it, he points it out, he makes it known. And uh, 
servants, a brief definition. It's God's people who obediently do his will. Talks through, talks about it throughout the book. In chapter 2, he says that the, somebody is teaching and seducing my servants. Chapter 7, verse 3, it, it says, servants of our God. Chapter 19, verse 2, says his judgments are true and, and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. The world system wanted Christians dead. It still does. There's people in Nigeria and Myanmar and places that possibly lost their lives today. And that will be avenged. Chapter 19 and verse 5. Praise our God, all you his servants, all you who fear him, small and great. Uh, chapter 22, verses uh, 3 and 6. I'll just read that. Chapter 22, verses 3 and 6. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That's the goal. That's the end of the book. There's not going to be anything around that's bad, just his servants worshiping him. Verse 6, he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what, soon, what must soon take place. Everything's happening pretty soon, isn't it? But it's a humble self-designation of people like Paul and James. And it should be our designation too. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He uses the same word. It's a, the, the Greek word for slave or bondservant. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. James says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a humble self-designation. And, and we, would, we would take it to ourselves too. And we would say, I'm your servant, Jesus. I want to find out. Show me what's in this book. And then our, our final heading uh, brings together what we have seen because it says it's a revelation to his servants of the things that must soon take place. And, and you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? How soon? When is Christ coming back? Soon. Well, how come he hasn't come back already? Well, because he hasn't. But it's going to be soon. Revelation 22, verse 7. We just saw it in verse 6 and 7. Say, I'm coming soon. Chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon. Chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely... I'm coming soon. The imminent return of Christ was always in the church's mind. If you read this book, it's right there. Soon, soon, soon. I'll show you what was going to happen soon. The apostles taught this. We, we might say that there's a compressed eschatology. Usually, when we think of eschatology, we think of what? Signs. First, this sign has to happen. And then this sign has to happen. And then this sign and that sign and the next sign and the next sign. Not many people in the New Testament looked at it like that, even though there's plenty of preachers that might say that. They said, it's coming soon. Jesus said, it's coming soon. You don't have to wait for this light and then this sign and that sign and this sign and this sign. It's coming soon. The, the, the return of Christ is pretty much in your face. Doctrinal purity, personal piety. That's what, you're, that's what we need to be concerned about. Paul says, he talks about the things that happened to the wilderness generation in Israel. And he says, these things are written down for your instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. He told the Corinthians they were in the end of the ages. Oh, you say, yeah, well, what happened for the last 2,000? You're still in the end of the ages. Yeah. The example of the Old Testament people murmuring and complaining and going against their leaders is an example to not be like that because those people were slain in the wilderness. 
John compresses it even more. In John, First uh, John, two eighteen, he says, "Children, it is the last hour." Well, did John get the timing right? What's going on with this? Right, you're hoping I'm done in the next five minutes. Well, well, well how John's how John say that it's the last hour? Because the revelation of Jesus Christ is right there. It's the next thing that possibly could happen in the redemption plan of God. That's it. Well, well, don't I find? Don't I have to get this sign and that sign and this sign? Doesn't that fit with this? It's happening soon. James says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means right there. It's right there. This glass of water is at hand. It's right there. What was James wrong? You're fully aware, Paul says, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The problem is, the problem is that people think that the idea of the book of Revelation is to try to figure it out. Well, there's not one command anywhere that your goal is to figure it out. It says, read it, profit from it, be blessed. It doesn't say figure it all out and tell your neighbor. I was there. I was there when people lifted up newspapers and said, this headline is fulfilled in Ezekiel. And I was like, what are you kidding? How, how do you know that? There are only commands to be ready right now. Uh, Richard Phillips in his commentary puts a time frame on it. And, and really, this helped me. Uh, we don't wait for the signs to fit. It's soon. He says, John writes that the reign of Christ that Daniel foretold in the latter days, right? Daniel just said in the latter days. Now must soon take place. So we've gone from Daniel latter days to soon take place. This is all the more poignant when we realize that Daniel prophesied that Christ's kingdom would arise during the fourth worldly kingdom. What was that kingdom? It was the very Roman Empire under which John lived. When is Christ going to come in the latter days and the fourth kingdom? And he came right when? When Tiberius was governor, wasn't he? He was a, he was a, a, a Roman emperor. He came right at the right time, right when Daniel said. This shows that the book of Revelation is focused not on merely the final years before Jesus' return, but on the entire church age, the reign of Christ, which began during Daniel's fourth kingdom with the resurrection and the ascension into heaven, which continues until Christ's return. So that helped me. It's not complete. It's not compressed. It's only about the last few years of the world. It's for all the church in all ages until he comes back. And that is just said that it's going to happen soon. So, so what do we do? All that God planned put Jesus on the earth at exactly the right time. It put him in exactly the right emperor or, or time of the emperor. It put him in exactly the right kingdom. It put him in exactly the right place. You say, well, well, still, I don't get it. What are we supposed to do? Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, right? Oh, I see. I got the wrong clock, right? I, I don't want to be impatient. I got the, I got the wrong counting clock because God doesn't count slowness as I count slowness. Later on in 2 Peter 3.14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, he just talked about the entire heavens and the earth being wiped out in a moment. It's, it's unbelievable. The, the closest star is like 75 billion trillion miles away. It's crazy. It, take, it would take our modern satellite, I think it's like 80 years to even get near the thing. And it's going to be gone in one second. But what does he say? Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him. How? How? Without spot or blemish and what? And at peace. Is, is, is the fact that Jesus isn't back an agitation? 
Peter says, don't let it be. He says, be diligent to be found in him. I'm a believer, but what? Personal purity without spot or blemish. In, the, in, the, in verse 11, he says that you should live a life of holiness and godliness. Can you live a life of holiness and godliness at the same time? That's what Peter says. He says, look at all these things. And he asks the question, what manner of people should we be? Amen. In all holiness and godliness, the whole, the whole universe is going to get wiped out and burned up in, in seconds. And all Peter says is get ready. Make sure, make sure to be diligent to be found in him. Jesus said, concerning the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Later on, he says, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You can't look at all, you can't look at signs and say, oh, I got it now. Hurricane Ida, yeah. COVID, oh, definitely COVID's got to be one of the bulls. COVID's got to be one of the trumpets. It's got to be one of this, got to be one of that. Well, it's all symbolic. It could be, it might not be, but what's my obligation? Be diligent, be ready. Amen. And what do I have to do? I have to see my savior like I've never seen him before. I have to be attached to him like I've never been attached to him before. And, that, and that's what the study is all about because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Let's pray. God and our Father, have mercy on us. Write these things on the tablets of our heart. Uh, give us grace to understand. Give us grace to uh, walk the walk and, and not just talk religious things, not just profess. Help us to be truly servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.